Good afternoon, and thank you for attending this webinar, which is being recorded and will be distributed as well. My name is Rachel Polhemus, and I'm a senior partner here at Whitkiefer in our healthcare, healthcare practice. I'm joined with my colleague, Susan Snyder, a health, uh, senior partner as well, who leads our leadership advisory practice. Today, we have four healthcare executive panelists from across the country who have graciously joined our very important discussion on burnout. Before we get started into our webinar, I'd like for them to each introduce themselves. I'm gonna start with Deborah Canales, who goes by Deb. Thank you, Rachel. And I'm Deb Canales, and I'm the Chief Administrative Officer for Providence, located in Renton, Washington. Uh, I've been there, I'm starting my 10th year, and prior to that, I worked for Trinity Health. So I'm excited to talk about a topic that has followed me my entire career. <laughs> well, welcome and thank you. Um, and next we have Corwin Harper. Uh, so first of all, thank you to Whit Kiefer for putting on this event today. Also, I'm just so humbled to be a part of a wonderful panel of great executives. So I hail from the great state of South Carolina, went to the Citadel, went to Baylor for my master's degree, happily married, because I think my wife is on, I better say that else I'm in trouble. And <laughs> then, also, uh, then also I've served in the United States Army and I'm a veteran from the military. And uh, also I spent 25 years at Kaiser Permanente, a retired executive from Kaiser. And now I'm serving as the uh, Senior Vice President, Chief Growth Officer at Oxford Health, based out of New Orleans, Louisiana. Thank you, Corwin, and welcome. Next, we have Pradita Komanduri. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, it's great to be here, and thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been a pleasure getting to know my colleagues here. Um, so I'm Pradeepta Komanduri. Um, I'm currently the Chief Operating Officer at the University of Colorado Hospital. Um, prior to being here, I was in um, Seattle at Seattle Children's um, for several years. Prior to that, I was um, at Loyola University Medical Center in Chicago. Um, and prior to that, I was at Barnes Jewish Hospital um, in St. Louis. So I've been in academic health systems my entire career, really on the service line development and operational side of things. So um, it's a pleasure to be here and thanks again. Thank you, Pradeepa. Lastly, we've got Jeff Lindsay. I'll let him introduce himself. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a real pleasure to be here uh, with you all today. I am the Chief Operating Officer for Novant Health, which is a private not-for-profit health system uh, based in North Carolina, operating primarily in North and South Carolina. And I've been in my role with Novant for eight years and really appreciate the opportunity to be able to uh, join with my colleagues here and explore the ideas around some of the, some of the real challenges that that our teams and particularly our, our leadership is facing uh, around burnout. So happy to be with you. Thank you. Welcome, Jeff, and thank you. Before we get started and, and uh, get into really some of the meat of the conversation with our panelists, we thought we'd just give some background on burnout and the, how this, this whole topic came to be of importance um, to not just us, but the industry. Um, I think it's important that we level set and define burnout so Mayo Clinic defines burnout as clinically defined as a state of physical, emotional, or mental exhaustion combined with doubts about your competence and the value of your work. There are three dimensions to burnout, cynicism, efficiency, and exhaustion. And they all show up in different ways in our work, whether it's increased mental distance from your own job, a feeling of you know, hard to relate to what I'm doing, a feeling around not feeling in what many of us believe is feel, always wanting to feel productive and feeling that that loss of production, that loss of ability to be 
effective and efficient in getting things done. And finally, just feelings of energy, depletion, or exhaustion, just not having enough to be able to deliver and feeling as though um, you, you've got the, the energy to, to help support your teams around you. In 2018, Whit Kiefer launched a study on burnout. Um, little did we know that um, COVID was gonna be something that we'd be talking about. This was something we had decided to do to get a better understanding about how healthcare executives were feeling around burnout given the, the, the impacts of what was happening in their organizations. Um, in 2022, uh, this past summer, we relaunched the survey to better understand coming out of COVID you know, how healthcare executives were feeling, you know, what were the levels of burnout, and quite frankly, understanding what we could do to help manage executive burnout across the industry. We reached 233 executives, 63 of them were CEOs, 64% were men, 34% were women, 88% were white or Caucasian, 5% were Black or African American, and 2% were Hispanic or Latino. Not a surprise at all, um, as we asked the question around, have you felt burnout within the last six months, that there was an increase from when we conducted the survey in 2018. It leaped by 14% to, to 74%. I think the biggest, most astonishing number that we saw was the fact that the feeling of burnout impacting your organization and that being up to 93%. We found that to be very significant as well as just the overall feeling of being burned out for the last six months. So how does this all contribute to what we wanna to discuss today? Part of what we wanna really engage our panelists in really understanding where they are, where their organization is, where the impacts that they've seen both as a industry, financially, how it's impacted the organization. So we look forward to having a great discussion with you all today. We're gonna to start off with the first question and I'm gonna ask Corwin this question. How does burnout show up or is experienced in your organization? And have you noticed differences between executives in terms of role type, gender, age, et cetera? So um, let me frame the question as from pre-COVID, so now post-COVID, because I also transitioned between organizations at the time. So I didn't see a difference by gender how burnout affected, but it really is about how anybody responds to the situation. Because one of the biggest things that happened since 2019 to the present is a person's personal life became more evident as it impacted their work life. As people had to make compromising decisions about childcare or taking care of adult parents, in the midst of the pandemic created an added stress that made it more visible, but also easy to talk about at work. And how it's playing out at work is on one hand, there's a lot more empathy and understanding for people to go coordinate their lives. But when you, but, and then that means the group has to be in community with each other to talk about it. Balance against those, including executives still, who still feel like they have to be superhuman. They can't share what's going on so it kind of makes them tighter and not always able to just be open to share. But at the end of the day, the last three or four years has forced all of us to figure out how can we share a little bit of who we are, the total person, how can we live in communities to support each other? So if I need to go home early one day to take care of our 80 year old parents, that's okay. 
versus trying to stay there and be there for everybody. And that's what I've seen people trying to balance that. Thank you for that, Corin. Deb, I'd like to ask the same question to you as well. How has burnout showed up, burnout showed up in your organization and what are the differences amongst your executives? So we, we certainly experience burnout from our leaders, not quite as high as the survey that uh, you completed. Uh, our executives experience uh, about 50% of burnout compared to our overall population of about 65%. But I think we really try to focus on managing the entire population rather than the demographics and really take a deeper dive at, as Corin talked about, what are those drivers, those difficulties that maybe our caregivers are experienced with their family, financials, their workload, the perceptions of fairness. Um, I read a global workforce study uh, recently from Gallup and a lot of the top reasons for burnout were things that as a, an executive, spending time just in conversation, talking about how you're being treated at work, uh, thinking about the workload, um, talking about priorities, um, or even just, you know, what's happening uh, personally in those situations, but, but really spending time in conversation to ask why, what's going on, how can I support you as we look at how we manage all of the demographics within our organization? Thank you for that. Jeff, I'd like to ask you the same question as well. Yeah, so um, we've been thinking a lot about uh, resilience, stress, burnout over the last several years, as everyone has. And we've um, launched during the course of the pandemic uh, an every six month resilience survey where we where we really try to connect with all of our team members and understand kind of where they are, how they're dealing with the stress that they're experiencing. Our last um, last uh, survey was at the end of December, this past December, and I was very heartened to see that um, we were seeing significant increases in our clinical bedside staff, um, RNs, respiratory therapists, even physicians in the clinics, uh, for the first time ever during the course of the entire pandemic, we were starting to see improvements, uh, reductions in their stress, uh, increases in their ability to cope and and feel like they were like they were making improvements. So we were really encouraged to see that, except the one uh, the one segment of our team that showed a reversal uh, in that pattern is our senior leadership. And for the first time ever during the course of the pandemic, when we've been tracking this, we saw um, expressions of significant stress rise from 61 to 87% among our senior leadership and burnout. We have a subscale of questions that kind of reflect burnout. That number went from 34% to 48%. So at a time when so much of our team is getting better, we're seeing our senior leadership um, sort of nosedive a little bit in terms of resilience and seeing that that burnout really increasing. And as we've thought about that dynamic and studied it, um, I think one of the one of the things that we found, and it's related sort of to that Mayo definition, Rachel, that you shared earlier about having doubts about your competence and the and the effectiveness or value of your work. A real common theme we found in the feedback from our senior leaders is that just the feeling of being ineffective and having problems that we just can't, we can't solve for the people that are counting on our leadership um, to be able to stabilize uh, the situation and make things better for them. And I, I have to think that 
you know, healthcare senior leaders are a pretty a pretty uh, resilient bunch, used to high pressure, high pace, juggling multiple priorities, probably used to a fairly decent level of fatigue and those things. But that combined with the feeling of just being ineffective and having your leadership not be able to deliver the results that are needed, that's a pr- that's a pretty rough place to be. And so when I think about the impact on our overall performance, I'm really concerned about our ability to sustain those um, those improvements we saw in the rest of our team, because another thing that we've learned and kind of tracking this uh, tracking this data over time is that the real key driver for intent to stay for a frontline team member is entirely around my leader cares about my well-being and is taking active steps to um, uh, to address that. So when we've got leaders feeling burnout, maybe some compassion fatigue, and all that goes along with that, I, I really worry about our ability to to keep helping support our team to get better because our leaders have to role model and show the way on that. So that's a that's an impact that you know we've recognized we've got to focus on to 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 strengthen that before it becomes a bigger problem that pervades the rest of the team. Yeah, those are great points, Jeff. Thank you for for sharing that. It sounds like you all are doing a lot of work around this. Pradeepa. Yeah, so I mean, I would echo everything that my colleagues here have said. Um, you know, I think as we reflect, as I've been reflecting on this topic, just personally, I think burnout kind of shows up in its physical manifestations, right? So it's the stress level, it's the anxiety, it's perhaps sleeplessness, it's whatever our personal stress behaviors are. And I think that has an impact, of course, on our teams, which are very broad, very diverse. Um, So I think that's definitely an area that we need to focus on. And, you know, I think it also starts to manifest into, you know, how do you make decisions? How do we effectively move the organization forward? And I think if we're not in a place where we're able to manage our own stress and really manage um, our own feelings of burnout, that becomes really challenging. I'm a working mom, right? So we all have our own personal story behind us, but I think the pandemic um, definitely kind of brought to light just how difficult it is to be in a household of two working adults, um, which is really kind of what we all depend on, most of us depend on. Um, So those are real challenges that I think we were side by side having to face alongside our frontline team members in some ways. Granted, you know, I carry a lot of privilege in my world compared to some of my frontline team members, but it's hard to imagine what they're going through. And we are trying to support them and do that work. And at the same time, maybe we're experiencing the same things, Um, you know, loved ones dying of COVID. I mean, just all the same stuff we were experiencing together. So I think COVID was a really critical time for us. And I think, um, I think part of it is just acknowledgement that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to have this conversation. And I've really appreciated this opportunity because I think it's important topic for us to talk about. So, you know, the cynicism, the lack of efficacy, the exhaustion, the pieces that you talked about, I think those are real And I think our leaders are feeling it and you start to see the turnover in leadership um, Mm -hmm. because it's just too much for people to handle. And we just, you know, a lot of the leaders just don't have the right tools and resources to be able to manage that, which then leaves those of us who are still in the game (laughs) doing more. Um, So it's just a cyclical piece that I think we have to start thinking about how do we really tackle that and support one another. Absolutely. I mean, as an industry as a whole, we need to figure out how we can do this better and, and prevent burnout at all levels, you know, no matter what position you are in an organization. 
I'd like to follow up with another question, um, especially I think this is probably, you know, we, we talk with a lot of executives around the country constantly around what's happening in their organization. And, and clearly the biggest issue, as we were talking about before we got started, was, was budget season and just finances in general and the financial pressures you all are experiencing, the organizations are experiencing. So I'd like to ask um, another question. I'll start with Corwin again is, how is executive burnout impacting the financial and operational recovery of hospitals and health systems? And, and particularly, you know, we'll talk about Louisiana down there. Well, first of all, burnout clouds one's ability to think clearly. Yes. And where we have to work together is we have to step back from the proverbial wall. And I raise that because we're going through the normal business S-curve right now that we're all trying to figure out where are we on the S curve. And I've worked with a friend of mine named Wayne Phillippe, who's the CEO of Bull Creek Partners around this issue of hitting the wall. So I think we as leaders have to help each other to step back from the wall so we can understand, is this a revenue issue? Is this an expense issue? And how do we work interdependently to figure this out? And what I've observed over the last three years is that sometimes we in the midst of the pandemic, we worked very independent, interdependently together. We all said, that's the focus, that's the priority. But what's happened is I see us slipping back to our independent ways, where we all go back to, I can do it myself. I don't need any help. I got to figure it out. I feel the pressure. So I just invite everybody to be in the space of really understanding what does it mean to work interdependently? Meaning I can't live without you, Deb, to do my job. For deep to, I cannot function without you to do my job. And Jeff, the same for you. So how do we leverage our strengths as we overcome our opportunities to do what we do best, which is take care of our citizens and fellow humans in our communities across the world. And I just want to continue to raise that bar about interdependence, because I think that's what will pull us through, realizing that we cannot do it alone in this stage of healthcare. Thank you for that, Corwin. I, I have heard the word interdependent quite a bit um, with, with a lot of our clients. And I think that's, that's you know, that, that will be a game changer as, as you all continue to push through this. Um, Deb, I'd love for you to, to provide some thoughts around this. Thank you, Corwin. And I love being part of your community. And I'm going to build upon um, that interdependency and connection because even though our executives are performing 15% uh, better than our caregivers with regards to burnout statistics, they're very tired still, but they are steadfast in their commitment to driving financial and, and operational recovery. And I think what's helped is um, this year we've put a theme in place called Human Connection. And we've launched this communication campaign throughout our ministries to really focus on how do we strengthen the relationships with everyone um, how do we make our mission more, more possible, um, more prevalent, um, and, you know, spending time with our top 1,000 leaders on a regular cadence, um, kind of a surround sound approach, if you will, to cascade messages, to be able to ask questions in a safe environment so that they can respond consistently and have the why be grounded and know that it's okay to say I'm struggling or I'm just exhausted, I can't do this. And um, so that they walk away with clear expectations. They have um, themselves surrounded by a network to help support them in terms of, of the how and the why and, and what we're doing. And I think that's been really helpful. Um, 
you know, before we started this call, we talked about just the notion of sometimes we think about burnout and development and progressing through an organization. And sometimes um, we add too many responsibilities or too many new projects and promotion of, of executives. And so really reshifting that perspective to think about what could be more impactful or an opportunity that gets persons a, a different perspective or entree to a different uh, line of business that might be more challenging instead of just more stuff. Um, just thinking about how do they exercise new muscles of thinking or um, really uh, reflects those superpowers that they have. So I think um, it's, it's a complete surround sound approach, but the basis is about human connection and how we come together in the spirit of all of our missions to advance why we're here and our purpose, which gives meaning and really helps people recall why were they called to healthcare in the first place in terms of the joy that that brings to them. Wow, Deb, I love that. And I love that, I mean, the human connection part, uh, we, we, we are all craving that. And I think if anything coming through COVID and the need to be with people versus only on, I mean, today it's, it's perfect for a webinar, but the need to be with people is, is a huge aspect of that connection. Um, Jeff, I'd love for you to give some thoughts. Yeah, I think to the question of how is stress and burnout impacting our operational and financial recovery, I have, I have a pretty straightforward answer. For us, the number one challenge, the number one, two, and three challenge is really around team member engagement and retention and, and retaining our team. And so for us, that's about creating that community um, that that Corwin and Deb have, have mentioned and um, I, talk, I talk to our team all the time about our job, all of our jobs have to be about recruiting and retaining the strongest, most committed team in healthcare and creating that environment of community that makes people come and want to stay and feel like if they're leaving, they're losing something. We, we have to really be able to make that real. And that takes a tremendous amount of time and investment and emotional connection and really trying to, to build that sense out. And when we have leaders, senior leaders who are stressed to the point of exhaustion or burnout, that becomes a real challenge. So for me, um, that uh, that component of being able to support our team and create an environment that's so engaging that they want to stay and commit their, their work careers to, to the mission and purpose that they bring to our work um, is, is absolutely key. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and I agree. I think, you know, creating that community is is so key that that lifts people up, especially when one might be down, there's others there to, to help them back up and, and help with the burnout. So that's fantastic. Pradeepta? Yeah, um, I think maybe just to add um, to what my colleagues have mentioned here, I think um, I was reading somewhere that the average uh, tenure of a healthcare executive, depending on which type you are, is like three to five years. Mm -hmm. So in the context of burnout, you just think about you're entering an organization, your tenure is somewhere in that three to five year range on average. So you're already walking in, perhaps burned out. Um, mm -hmm. So then it's really hard to, you know, build trusting relationships to just think about what's the strategy. Like as a senior leader, you know, 
as the person leading an entire organization, how do I even set my strategy if my if I'm not in the right headspace to do this with my team? How do you start to build trusting relationships? How do you execute that strategy? And I think where we are in healthcare right now, what we need is really transformational. Um, so from a transformational change perspective, how do you start to do that if you haven't built relationships, you don't have um, a culture of psychological safety, or you don't have um, engaged team members? Um, so it's it's really hard, I think, to just do the work that we should be doing, which is really forward-looking and visionary. Um, and I think, you know, I always think about succession planning. Um, without enough leaders in the pipeline as they're getting burnt out, as we're getting burnt out, it's really hard then to take the time and the care um, to start building up your teams to really kind of carry on whatever that strategy or that legacy is that we all hope to create in the healthcare space. So, you know, I think from a recovery perspective, we're constantly recovering. Um, and then at what point do you start to say, now we start to build something new and fresh and funky and great for the future. And I think that's really, really hard to do um, when we're all kind of in this state of burnout. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Thank you for that. I'll turn it over, Susan, I'll, I'll let you jump in. Excellent. Thank you. I, I just have to say, I'm amazed and honored uh, to be in in all of your presence and so um, so impactful what you shared and, and thank you for your transparency. Um, in this study, so we're just going to share a little bit of data with all of you that that highlights and kind of reinforces what our amazing panelists have been sharing. So what this shows you is some of the data that that our survey found in the most recent uh, study. And what we found is that most of our respondents, actually we're, we're still reporting high levels of productivity, frankly, um, higher than we might've expected given the number uh, of burned out. And what you see in that blue in that first chart is that while they're all relatively high in terms of strongly agree or somewhat agree, you see that the, the executives self-identifying as experiencing burnout in the last six months are, uh, they're, they're more in the somewhat agree, right? Than the, than the strongly agree. Um, what really stood us out to us, though, and this speaks to, Deb, what you were talking about, and Corwin and Jeff and Pradita, in terms of that, that mission and that calling to have impact and that feeling of efficacy, that feeling of being able to do the work that, uh, that you spoke about being called to do, which is one of the striking and amazing things about this industry, that's where we really saw the shift. So that confidence of being able to overcome challenges at work, what we see, right, is that it gets the, the not burned out is significantly um, higher when they're talking about always being able to do that, um, especially when you add in the often, right? The delta between those two is, is pretty pretty big of 61% compared to 19%. And then that impact, which is what it's all about. I mean, you are you are all talking about making a difference in the world. And so you see, again, that very big shift, which just is, is concerning because it does become a vicious cycle and needing to have the innovation and the, uh, the transformation and, and coming together to do the work that we all need all of you to do, and thank you for doing it, requires more of that, of that efficacy and, and impact. So we were concerned in seeing this. 
It also, if, if we go one more slide forward, impacts people's you know, intention to stay as you were talking about, Jeff. So we've given you there some, there were just uh, scads of hugely impactful quotes from all of the participants. We've given you some from healthcare CEOs, um, but that, that intention uh, to stay was really, really different. So again, if you combine often and always, right? You've got about 43% of those burned out really thinking about leaving their current position compared to 2% of those unburned out. And then if you look at the industry level, it's 38% again to 2%. And, you know, as a, as a grateful um, recipient, as we all are, of what the work that you do, we can't really afford this. So we looked at it and said, okay, it's, it's a real thing. And, and this, um, this need to, you know, as they say on the airplanes, put on your, your own gas mask it is a real thing. So we really wanted to focus on what can be done. And that's where we're gonna turn next. So just uh, a little bit of, uh, of a framework uh, in terms of what can be done if you go forward, where the folks who are experiencing and reporting burnout and the folks who worked were much more similar than anywhere else was in the something needs to be done, right? This is a this is a real thing, and uh, and yes, providers and staff hugely important and on the front lines. And we think some of it is healthcare executives are understandably focused there, and that feeling and that that lack of efficacy and impact at the top of the house has to be addressed as well. So when we thought about what could be done, we think about this as there's a personal element, there's an individual element, and there's an organizational element, right? So there's a, a person with all of each of our unique stressors as a whole human being, and there's an organizational context. And we believe that both of those play a role. So the individual piece has been talked about a lot, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what all of you have to say. The organizational piece you've already started to highlight. So that feeling of connectedness, of interdependence in Corwin's language, of really coming together as a whole, as opposed to pieces. Um, customizing. So what do roles need to look like? Deb, you were already talking about that. What, how do processes need to shift? How do you create a culture among and within executives that, that can then cascade to the whole? And then that this is really a triathlon. So those are some of the things we were thinking of, but I'd, I'd love to go to the panelists now, um, if we could, and just to hear from you. And, and Pradeepta would love to start with you in terms of what have you been experimenting with? Yeah, I think um, at the organizational level, I think I'm very focused on, and of course you would expect the operations person to say this, but how do we simplify, right? Um, mm -hmm. So really getting centered around clear govern governance structures, excuse me, really thinking about how do we prioritize those initiatives that will truly move the dial for our organization um, and being able to differentiate between a must do and a nice to do. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's just where we're at right now. Um, and then, you know, I think it's asking our teams for help. Um, it's actually having the vulnerability to say, hey, here's a problem we need to solve. I need your help and engaging and really leveraging, getting fingerprints on the work from the ground up. Um, so I'm really focused currently on just process improvement efforts where we're eliminating non-value added work, we're simplifying our processes and really pulling our teams into the work 
Um, so setting the guardrails and then letting people really just run with it. And it's good management discipline, but I think it's easy to kind of get, you know, lost in the shuffle of all the things that go on. But to me, it's really just that foundational practice, getting back to that and being with people and asking for their feedback. So at the organizational level, that's kind of where we're very heavily focused, um, at a personal level, um, I'm focused on what everybody else is focused on when they set their new year's resolutions, right? So it's getting sleep, it's exercising every day. It's just a few minutes of meditation. It's reading a book. And I think what I have learned in the process is, you know, I'm not trying to be an Olympic athlete or a literary genius or anything like that. Right. So for me, for an example, like reading, my goal is to read one page a day. That's it. I end up reading 50. Once I pick up the book, I'll read 50, but just setting a bar that I feel like, yes, I can check this off my list. It's something that brings me joy and it gets me to, you know, my little reading chair where I can accomplish it, check it off my list and just have that distraction for myself. Um, I think that clarity and that simplicity has been something. So I started this um, as my new year's resolution. And so far I'm like 90% hitting my goals, just making them simple. Um, So I think we just have to be as leaders, you know, I think we're always focused on this high achievement bar, but I think it's okay at a personal level to just keep it simple, do our best, give ourselves some grace. And I think I've found that that's really helped me kind of regain my balance, my clarity, just my optimism to continue doing what I'm doing. Um, And I love the airplane analogy. Like I think about that all the time. We have to put our gas, like our air mask on before we can help somebody else with theirs. And that's kind of been my way to get grounded. Thank you so much, Pradeepta. Jeff. Yeah, so a couple things. I think from a global organizational perspective, I'm completely with Pradeepta. I feel like every conversation has some component of, okay, let's be clear about our priorities. What are the things that are critical to do that we have to do versus you know the things that are nice to have, but, but they're not critical to our recovery, rebuild, and I think I know that our teams appreciate that and really need that clarity. And as, um, you know, healthcare leaders who maybe we do sometimes think of ourselves as Olympic athletes, even though in at least my case, we're not, um, <laughs> we, we, we think we can make everything top priority and excel on everything. And I think creating the space for people to understand here's what's important now over the next week or 90 days or 12 months is, is really critical I also think from a global perspective, redefining leadership effectiveness to say it has to include a focus on well-being, our own and each other's and our teams, um, and sort of taking that that boardroom culture of not complaining, getting it done, everything's fine, calm, assured. Um, sometimes it's okay to, to let that go and show our teams how we can be honest and realistic about about understanding what's happening in the environment and the impact that that's having on us. And then just a couple of specific kind of strategic things or tactics, I guess I would say, um, thinking about how to how to make support readily available for our teams. Mm-hmm. We've done a couple things. Um, I know in your organizations, like in mine, you have a number of people who actually are pretty good at this and who even frontline team members who we can engage who want to be engaged in helping their 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 elbow to elbow colleagues and so we've actually recruited over 400 and trained 400 emotional health advocates that form a team that 
just got some um, mental health first aid training and have an aptitude and an interest for doing it and and are able to kind of be shoulder to shoulder among the team helping people out. And that's that's uh, a group that continues to grow. And we've been able to really, uh, really engage them to help um, peer to peer be be a real positive um, force. We've also tested and are getting ready to broadly launch kind of just a quick, um, we call it the easy button for when times aren't easy. So a, a, a quick phone or digital connection to someone who can help. If you need a, a moment right now to talk to someone, um, we're, we're testing out um, how can we make that happen. And even in our test mode, we, we've been getting several calls a day. So it's um, it's just for us, I think, thinking about um, we, we want to we wanna make it okay to talk about it. And we want to back that up with putting resources in place that will make that help and support that people need more readily available. Uh, so they don't have to go looking for it and searching for it. It's right there for you. So th- those have been some things that, we, that we're testing. I love the easy button for when it's not easy. We all need one of those. Thank you. Deb. Yeah, I want one of those buttons, please, Jeff. <laughs> Well, I, I think we, we have to engage and lean into cultivating our human connection here at Providence. And, you know, it's, it's rooted in our promise uh, at Providence of how we communicate, know me, care for me, and ease my way. And that's been the tenets with regards to just our uh, operational mantra. And like my uh, colleagues on the panel, you know, we have really doubled down on wellness in a lot of our offerings and mental health practitioners and extending um, our EAP programs with additional visits, but also just integrating it in all of our systems as part of how we continue to shape, uh, destigmatize uh, burnout, and that it's okay to ask for help. And putting resources that our caregivers, our executives can get access to quickly. We've developed a share site through our Microsoft Teams programs where people can really focus on self-care and look at support uh, opportunities to read, well-being resources, um, learning different pathways, and just even just creating a community within their own department or across organizations to to talk about their lived experiences. But I think it's um, continuing to make it available, um, the communication that people can have access to and that it's safe to have those type of conversations and to recognize when people may need help. I may not be able to uh, provide the solution, but I can at least help them along the way. Um, so there is a sense of belonging, a sense of inclusion, um, and, and the promise is lived and know me, care for me and ease my way. And so I think that's you know, been a cornerstone of our efforts Uh, We've also just completed a a major launch of electronic uh, medical records and electronic records platform across HR, supply chain, and finance, one of the largest in healthcare history. And so, again, as we talked earlier about just uh, finding new care models um, and reimagining how we're going to do work in the future and taking time to really understand what do our executives need um, to be successful and to be helpful. Thank you, Tom. Corwin. Yeah, um, I wish I would have gone first <laughs> this time <laughs> around after everybody said, so just give me a moment because I don't want to repeat what people have said. So I want to mm-hmm. frame my comments in the following construct. When I started, I opened by saying, I went to the Citadel, I'm an army veteran. 
And that was purposeful because I know how much resilience training, how much structure, how much organization that took at a very young age. Then when you add the fact I had a chance to uh, sit with and be a part of Jim Lair, who was one of the, who was the co-founder of the Human Performance Institute about what you need to do to be a corporate athlete. So if you look at a corporate athlete versus a professional athlete, we don't have a preseason season and an off season. We're always on. So that's one construct. And we got to figure out a way to allow us to be able to have an off season without asking for permission to create the construct to do that. The second thing is, as you think about this is, we have all lived in a fear-driven culture at some point in time in healthcare. And a fear-driven culture is one of the most taxing, waning things I've ever seen. And that's rooted in a, in a framework that I've created over the last couple of years called workplace concussions. See, mm. we see the professional athletic concussions and there's a protocol and thousands of people are watching and they can't play for X number of days, but we don't talk about workplace concussions at all. They happen all the time. And I want to just share a little story that on November the 10th, 2019, my life changed and everybody's life at Kaiser Permanente changed. We found out that Bernard Tyson passed away. That was a workplace concussion. Then as I tr transitioned and retired from Kaiser and I started working at Auctioner, I started working right after Hurricane Ida came through and was devastating. So you bookended by these workplace concussions and there's no protocol. So I would ask that we work with our healthcare professionals to come up with a workplace concussion protocol that I recommend should be rounded out based upon the ICD-10 diagnosis of adjustment disorder with mixed anxiety and depressed mood. It's real and Mayo has a protocol for that. And it's even higher level support than burnout with no medication. But it's really about the recommendations to build community, go back to the familiar and create a vision for where you wanna go. So now that I'm at Auctioner and we also changed, we have a new CEO as of uh, November 1st, Pete November is a new CEO and I'm watching him give great care to the culture. We just mm -hmm. did our culture assessment and you know, people said, why are you doing it now? Because he wanted a baseline to understand the culture of the organization after going through a leadership change, after going through you know, COVID and everything is happening. That, allowed, that is now allowing us to create a vision for the future. And that vision is already being shaped around transforming for tomorrow. And when you think about a vision-directed culture versus a fear-driven culture, it, it infuses energy into the organization. And on a micro level, what Pete has set up in, in the Tuesday meeting with the executive team, we just simply go around and say, okay, how is it with family, work, and life in general? And we say 999. 978-654, we rate the three numbers and we talk about what's pulling on us. And there have been moments of tears, but also moments of joy. So the leader has to create that environment for all of the corporate athletes to have a safe place to say, I've had a workplace concussion. I need a little help and assistance. But wrapping that in a, to a vision-directed culture is a tremendous thing. And I see Pete doing that for Ashram Help right now. That was beautiful. And I love the connection between the personal, like, what are you coming into the room with, right? And that um, 
organizational personality of the culture and where we headed that vision, which gives you something to hang on to. Thank you so much, all of you for sharing. Um, really, really impactful. Uh, what we'd love to do now is just take a few minutes and I'll, I'll, I'll tee up kind of some of the things uh, that we heard just for, for participants. And then we're gonna come back to you for any learnings or words of advice that you have for all of us. Um, so the strategies, what really struck me uh, in listening to all of you is this, then this slide is really about at the individual level, because that really is important. And uh, Pradeepta, thank you, because it is an oxygen mask and not a gas mask. Um, so I apologize for that. Um, but really, I, you know, I've been struck ever since we began talking about that just it's okay to not be okay and making it a topic of discussion and bringing that back. We were talking before we started, it became normal to do that during COVID, not losing that essence of authentic humanity. Um, encouraging people in the, you know, the easy button when it's not easy to leverage help get help from one another, from whatever sources uh, are available and needed, and to really set those boundaries that that page a day, Pradeepta was, was just a, a lovely, lovely example. So there are lots of ways to do this, and you've described uh, them very eloquently, but, but these are some things that hopefully are helpful for those of you listening uh, live or on the recording. At the organizational level, and I was so touched to hear what you're doing organizationally, um, that, that building connections and the interdependency that Corwin talked about, um, and Deb, you spoke about this as well, of people are stronger when they're together, right? We're, we're not creatures who are designed to be alone. And so creating forums to do that is so important, as well as the interdependence as humans on the executive team, which you know, it's the, the what do we own together? Um, and uh, Jeff, as you said, what are those crystal clear priorities? What are those things that we have to get 95% have to get an A on? And what are those things that are just less critical now? And how do we do that together as opposed to that hub and spoke leadership model? Um, so Corwin, looking forward to, to learning more about what you're, what you're doing on interdependence. Um, the other thing that, that we heard and see a lot of in, in our work is sometimes it's okay for people to move on and to honor that um, rather than hiding it under the bushel. Um, there are seasons to life and, and to really honor that while doing the work that you've all talked about as well, um, Pradeepta and Deb, in terms of succession and getting ahead of the curve um, so that so that people can lean into this amazing future uh, that is ahead of us in the S curve, um, and then the the wellness and the variety of different executive roles is a big thing that we've seen as well, uh, as well as that overall what's the culture and what's the vision for the future that you can connect to, uh, both collectively and individually. So those are some of the things that that we would bring and uh, would love to turn it over to you for, for final words. So Rachel, do you want to take us yeah, on? No, no, absolutely. And thank you for that. And thank you. I mean, I think all of this has resonated with me and I'm sure many folks who are listening, I, I think the, 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 the organization factor, I think what's going to be interesting is how organizations respond to executives making decisions to take a sabbatical because they need to and want to go back to the workforce. And I think that's as an industry, 
you know, we need to get over that perception that, you know, there was something that happened rather than they just needed a break. And I think everyone being okay with that is going to be, you know, accepting of that and knowing that that's, that was the headspace that they needed um, will be a shift for us as an industry. Um, It'd be great just to get some final advice from all of you. Um, Again, you know, things that, you know, if you had a friend, a colleague, a loved one that was experiencing burnout, advice you would give them, how you would help, you know, what would you say that they may want to think about doing, whether it is taking a break from, from their current opportunity or, or, or things that they can do for themselves, you know, just as habits that are forming, things that we were talking about earlier with Pradeepka. It would be great to get your, your thoughts. And I will start with Corwin on this one. Since he got to go last, he gets to go first this time again. <laughs> um, but let me start with a quote that I framed on October 2016. Um, the quote is, I am one human being living in one human race, working to create one humane world. And so what I would say to people is, first, you find your clear purpose that no one can knock you off your horse about. And the quick story about that is on the day that um, they carried John Lewis's body across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, it struck me that I'm not doing enough for humanity. Because Mm -hmm. what John Lewis and many of the civil rights leaders did, yes, they fought for civil rights, but also July 1st, 1965, Medicare and Medicaid were signed into use. And every one of us on this call were affected by that decision. So what I would say, find your purpose, your deep purpose that no one can take away from you and share it with people who are close to you so they can help you because you can't live out that, that issue. You can't cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge by yourself, but what you can do it is do it in community. And the other thing is, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to talk to somebody. I'm a man of faith and uh, I have a community of people that I can talk to, but reach out to people because you're going to need it. Because there will be a future workplace concussion that you probably will not be able to overcome by yourself. Wow, Corin, thank you. Chills, um, Deb. Thank you, and great words of advice, Corwin. You know, burnout can certainly feel insurmountable, but it's not a forever state. And I think, um, as I talked earlier about human connections, change happens one conversation at a time. And so letting go, letting others get to know you so that they can care for you and then they can ease their way with that easy button, Jeff. And uh, if we have time, I I have a beautiful quote from Margaret Wheatley, but I want to honor the rest of my uh, panelists uh, only if we have time. Go ahead. Go ahead. We have we've got some time. Okay. So Margaret Wheatley is a wonderful poet, and I've gotten the opportunity to meet her uh, when I went to Omega Institute in in Rhinebeck, New York. She talks about change. The world doesn't change one person at a time. It changes when networks of relationships form among people who share a common cause and vision of what's possible. This is good news for those of us intent on creating a positive future. Rather than worry about critical mass, Our work is to foster critical connections. We don't need to convince large numbers of people to change. Instead, we need to connect with kindred spirits. Through these relationships, we can develop the new knowledge, practices, courage, and commitment that lead to broad-based change. Thank you. That's just beautiful. Thank you. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think about resilience as being uh, an energy source within all of us that's renewable, and sometimes it very much needs to be renewed, but it but it can be. And when we think about that and approach approach that work with intention and and practice and um, a commitment to do it. Um, I, I think we can harness a lot of power for the resilience that I know sits in every every person involved in a healthcare enterprise. I know that because I know the work that they do and and why they do it. And I would also come back to community, as I think everyone else here has has said. And I think we have to remind ourselves and each other that um, we are surrounded by people who care for us and love us and need us. And so we can trust the community uh, that is, has been built around us um, when, when we need it the most. And, and we have to, and we'll all be stronger and better for it. That's great advice, Jeff. Thank you. Pradeepta? That is really hard to follow. <laughs> um, you know, I think, um, I think it's just important to rem remember that we're all human. I mean, we are humans in a job and we happen to be in jobs that carry a great level of responsibility and privilege. Um, and so just reflecting on that, it's okay to show vulnerability. It's okay to ask for help um, and to take time for ourselves because we really have to take care um, of what we carry um, because it's a great responsibility. Um, I think at a personal level that helps us um, just to kind of you know, hold ourselves together for this work that we do. But I think it also models a level of psychological safety for our teams It role models for them, um, gives them permission to do the same thing. So all of the leaders that you know, work with us um, and ultimately that allows all of us to achieve our best work. And I think that's really important. And I, I, even in preparing for this, I really kind of personally, it was hard to not start talking about the team, the team, the team, and kind of bringing it back to, well, no, you know, specifically, you know, we were asked to kind of reflect on ourselves. And I think that's really hard for us to do because we're so used to being in that position of holding it in, figuring it out on our own and doing for others. And I think, this was just a beautiful time to spend with my colleagues because I feel like this was an opportunity for us to say, we're all experiencing the same thing. We're all humans. And I think everyone has used the word community, but I think that's exactly what it's about. Like we're all in this together and we are the ones who have to fix healthcare and do all these wonderful things that we're supposed to be doing. So um, I think just kind of getting centered on that and saying, it's okay. It's okay to ask for that help and just be a human. It's great advice. It's really great advice. And you know, I love the community part because it is, we are all one big healthcare community after the same goal, you know, patient care, delivering the best care to our patients and, and how we go about doing that and serving our communities. So it's the community is, is a, a true factor and it circles all of us. Uh, you know, Susan and I, you know, couldn't be more thankful for, for spending the time with us here this afternoon and sharing your advice, giving your thoughts, giving your, you know, your, what you all are doing and how you're supporting your colleagues and your organization, um, your frontline staff, and, and really talking about burnout and not making it something that we not to be able to talk about, but really bringing light to it's okay to not be okay, as we spoke about earlier. Um, I think it's a really important topic that we continue as an industry 
to bring to light and you know, look for remedies, look for ways that we can you know, prevent this together. And when it does appear, find ways to help support one another. So truly, we really appreciate your time. And, and for others who tuned into the webinar, we, you know, we hope you've, you've come away with some, some great advice from four great leaders um, and continue to have conversations in this space. Thank you so much. Hello.